Before we start this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. This week, I chat with javelin thrower Kelsey Lee Barber. I remember walking away after that second throw and sitting down and kind of head between my legs, looking at the floor, trying to compose myself and like, you've got, you've got one throw left. So this episode is a special one. Not only did I get to speak to an incredible athlete after two gold medals in the space of two massive meets, I also got to speak to her right before she made history. So let's take a step back now. Imagine you're a champion at your sport. You've stood on the most decorated of podiums after achieving some of the biggest heights of your sport. You're the world number one. You have the Olympics coming up. And all of a sudden, you lose all ability to do something you love. The thing that's brought you so much success, your life's work, your talent seemingly gone. That's what happened to two-time Javelin world champion and Olympic bronze medalist Kelsey Lee Barber. In 2020, a series of events saw her develop a debilitating case of the yips. It left her unable to throw and questioning everything. It wasn't the first challenge she's overcome in her career, which began quite late, not finding her sport until her late teens. It hasn't stopped her making history, though, as the first woman to win back-to-back Javelin World titles, an Olympic bronze and Commonwealth gold. And we pick up her story as a little nine-year-old South African girl arriving to her new country of Australia at a very special time, the 2000 Sydney Olympics. I have really fond memories of that, actually, and this is the first time I was ever exposed to what an Olympics was. So uh, all of a sudden there's all these sports being played, people getting around it, the, the cities are buzzing, the country's buzzing, and it's like, oh, oh, you can, you can be a professional athlete and you can do this for a living and <laughs> you can represent your country and all these amazing things that, um, you know, I loved sport, but suddenly you could do it on this stage and in front of this atmosphere. And that was definitely a moment for me. Um, clearly remember sort of thinking or looking back on it and being, that's what I want to do. I want to be that person. I want to. I want to be standing on that stage representing my country, um, and wearing, wearing. Oh, even at that point, the green and gold. <laughs> I think yeah. once once I made that transition across, there was it was never in doubt that I was I was I was Australian. That was it. <laughs> was there a particular moment of? Um, we're very proud to have you. I'm so glad that you <laughs> did come over to Australia. Um, was there a particular moment at the Olympics that really did it for you? Oh, I. I have memories of um, like Nikki Webster, definitely that, uh, for whatever reason, that has definitely stuck in my mind. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone's ever said that before on a podcast about the yeah, Olympics, but yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely that. Um, and then obviously, uh, I definitely remember Kathy Freeman and her win mm. and her celebration and how Australia, the country got behind her. So um, yeah. So, so strange what actually sticks in your mind when you kind of recall memories. But, yeah. That very cool. Very, just a very cool time to, as you say, like be in Australia and experience mm. that for sure. Athletics. How did you get into that? Because were you doing sport early on in South Africa? Yes. So, as I said, we 
through my school, we're exposed to many, many different sports, which was awesome. I think just uh, exposing my body to all the different movements. Um, We were team sports, Mm -hmm. individual sports, um, you know, it was swimming, it was tennis. So yeah, great exposure. Um, But coming to Australia, I only sort of entered athletics through school and it was maybe year six was my first sort of experience at athletics. But Mm. it wasn't until even much later than that when I was 17, I guess, that I really Mm. decided I had a great event result uh, in the javelin. And that was my moment for me where I decided this is what I want to pursue to an elite level. This is what I want to take up. This is what I want to represent my country in um, and followed it from there. That is super late, really, to to find your sport and considering you're now world champion and Olympic uh, bronze medalist. But that is super late, isn't it, to find a new sport? Yeah, so I think yes and no when we talk about um, a late comer into the sport because I I think late to maybe to the specifics of javelin, maybe, but there was so much in what I did through high school and, as I said, as a a young kid that I actually think was beneficial to me excelling Mm. at the javelin because I didn't specialize early early there were elements of the way I threw that sort of came a little bit more naturally Um, I think I developed my own style of throw that you know has been a strength of mine from the very beginning Mm. and again I had overhead power not from throwing the javelin but I had from swimming gymnastics and tennis um, a netball background. So I had I had throwing elements, but it wasn't a javelin. And I actually am really grateful that I was exposed to all of those things um, because I think, again, general my general athleticism and general movement all ended up being a, a real pro into moving into the space of javelin. So I didn't do little athletics. So no, I, as I said, I mm. was late to understanding the sport and it wasn't even until mm. maybe my first senior team um, when I was 21 that I really started learning about the event and learning about the technical mm. model and the understanding for the implement. So I was very green <laughs> and very raw mm. when I came into it. But I guess, again, I loved the athleticism of the event. I loved that it Mm. involved a run and a crossover moment and then a very powerful explosion at the end. It was really enticing Mm. and I guess I saw the challenge in it and that's what I fell in love with and I still love it today. So you had that moment where you're like, oh, my gosh, I just threw that very far. I'm actually really good at this sport and I really love this sport. This is cool. How do you then go from that moment when you're 17 to doing it professionally. Yes. So that's exactly what it actually felt like for me. I think w- once that competition ended, it was very much so, cool, this is what I want to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, where do you go from Found there? It. I think I finished my schooling and decided I wanted to pursue Javelin a little bit more, uh, mm-hmm. like with a little bit more commitment. So went and found myself a, a coach and was very lucky to be um, a training partner with an athlete at the AIS. So from a very early stage, I was immersed in a quite elite training environment. And I've always been Mm. really grateful to that exposure um, to see what it would take. Was I willing to Mm. commit to this and to what it was, you know, the level of detail it was going to involve to to make it to that top level? What are those early days like? Because you mentioned there that 
you know, you weren't getting the funding there. There's no sponsors there at the start at all um, to try to pursue this goal of, of being an Olympian. What was life like in those early days? Work, uh, was there yeah. study? Was there a fallback <laughs> plan as well? Uh not at this stage. No, I was I was all in from the start. <laughs> but <laughs> there was obviously there's a there's a level of balance that comes with it. I I remember being very busy and uh there were definitely moments during that period where I probably stretched myself too thin in terms of mm. trying to to do everything. You know, I was I was as I said I was studying. Uh I think I was working one What were you studying? Uh I ended up doing a bachelor of sport and exercise science. Cool. So, Relatable. Yeah. Yes. Very much down the, the sport <laughs> alley. Um, but yeah, working maybe one at times two jobs, uh, trying mm. to stay social um, during that period of my life as well. You know, there's 18th, 21st birthdays. Um, yeah. So I certainly remember just trying to do everything. And I think at that point I was still playing netball as well. I didn't want to give it up yet. I really enjoyed the yeah. team aspect and the element of of that. So, yeah, I was juggling a lot. A moment in time for me before I had that next big breakthrough was actually uh, in 2012, I had quite a significant injury to my elbow. I had a complete rupture. And I remember going to the doctor's office. Um, my mum was sitting next to me and um, the doctor sort of said, like, is this an injury that we need to rehab so you can kind of continue with casual, like, weekend-style sports, you can continue with life, blah, 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 or is this something we need to look at rehabbing so you can throw the javelin professionally? And I just sort of, I was sort of taken aback a little bit. I was like, well, no, of course. Like, I want to represent Australia. Like, this is... This is definitely like that's not even an option. That other one, I'm I want to I'm going to throw the javelin for a living. So yeah. I think in that moment, having um, just been presented with this question, that was like maybe it was the reminder that mm. I wasn't at that level yet, but it was mm. still it was yeah it was solidified in me that I, that was what I wanted to do. So mm. that was just a it's always sort of been a moment with me that I've um, reflected on in my past sort of saying like there was never in doubt that this is what I wanted mm. to do in life. So Commonwealth Games, that was your 2014 Commonwealth Games. Yeah. That was your first international event. Am I right? It was, yes. So this That's is a my pretty f- big one to be your first international event. Yes, this is like, this is my first team, um, my first international event, my first open event like in terms of exposure to other countries yeah. and competing overseas and around the world and all the rest of it so yeah. yeah thrown in the deep end for sure yeah what were you thinking I mean you made it now you've got the common you've got the green and gold on um that was your goal and first international event you're at the Commonwealth Games what are you thinking about your life at that point honestly I felt like it was just the beginning I felt like mm. I was just getting started it was it was nice to have that moment of realisation that I had achieved that goal, Mm. but it was really just the bottom of the mountain. (laughs) I think Mm. it was always just the, like, this is the, this is the teaser. Like once you get this, now you go for it. Now you can Mm. really start pursuing your goals and what you want to try and achieve in this sport. Like that first representation or that first um, team uniform for me was, yeah, as I said, it, it was, definitely just the beginning Mm. um 
you walked away with a, a bronze in that. Uh, was that a clutch throw? Is that one of the – you're famous for them. But I know. That- <laughs> Funnily enough, yes, this is <laughs> seems to be reoccurring. I love it. <laughs> Which I, I love. love. If you I- know for something, that be that because that's yes. just extraordinary. And what is so funny is that all of these throws have um, a unique element to them because mm. – as I said at the start, I was so green in this event at this particular games. I was, I didn't know really? anything. I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I was just <laughs> out there to throw the javelin and have fun. And um, it's really fun looking back and talking to some of the coaches who were there in the, in the stadium at the time. But it came to my sixth round throw and I think I was sitting fourth at that point. And they're about to start the 200 metres um, on the bend and we were down the same end throwing so I needed to start my run up on the track mm. so they've got the girls down in the blocks kind of getting them started and I looked over to the official and I was like oh can I can I wait for them to go before I take my run up yeah. and he's like no no you have to go so again me being really green not knowing how this whole process worked I was just like oh okay I'll go and I just <laughs> remember yeah. sort of like shaking it off Standing at the top of the runway and just kind of going for it. So (laughs) I think what it meant was I didn't have any time to overthink it. I didn't have any time to overthink Mm. the moment or overthink the process of it. I literally just took off, ran and threw the javelin. And it came out at 62.95, which actually bumped me into second place. Um, So I'm walking off the runway being like, I don't really know what I've just done, but it was a great (laughs) result. I'm in second place. I've won a medal no matter what. This is wow. all happening really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and your last throw, that's it. That was it, yeah. that was it. Um, and even wow. even funnier than that, um, typical of me kind of like not really knowing how the process works. For the rest, like all the domestic seasons, once you finish, you pack up your stuff and you walk off. So here I am like taking my boots off, packing up my gear, and then I have a moment of realisation that it's like, wait, I've won a medal. I get to run with the flag. I think I've gone, I'm I'm in full tracksuit with my runners on, like ready to walk off the field. And I run over to the fence and there were a couple of Australians there who like, who tossed me a flag and I ended up doing my lap of honour with with Kim Mickle. So lovely. Yeah, lovely. It's really fun. It's really funny to think back on how how that all came (laughs) to play out. So you didn't have time for anything to distract you. You were like, because that could have distracted a lot of people and they could have been like, yeah. ah, and that last throw been a bit chaotic. Are you in your rights to well, say, can I wait normally? Yes, or I think no? so. I think looking back on it, I could have said, I, I'm on the runway. This, the race is about to start. Like they're in their blocks. Can you, yeah. like, can you hold the clock for me so that they can yeah. go? I, I don't know why the official didn't yeah. stop it because it was clearly, um, mm. like they were clearly about to start. But anyway, <laughs> as I yeah. said, he said. Which means like if the gun goes off and everything, it's well, distracting. Yeah, it's a combination of, if you're of things. They yeah. normally silence the crowd. Yeah. They normally, um, you know, have the starters gun like all prepped and ready. Sure. There's not normally a lot of movement yeah. in the stadium during that time. But, um, yeah. yeah, me being me, I was like, shake it off. He said, no, you got to go. Your clock's running down. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> so. When you do so well, though, at, in your first international event, at your first Commonwealth Games, 
can that be a little bit of a curse? Like it's an absolute blessing, but can it be a bit of a curse? Can that make it just seem a little bit too easy? Yes, and I think uh, I think I definitely got yeah. tripped up by that a little bit. I sort of was like, as I said, saw myself at the start of that and then suddenly take this big leap in terms of, oh, okay, you've just won a medal at, at an international competition. So, of course, the next one I'm going to go mm. to, I'm going to, I'm going to be pushing those medals again, right? Like <clears throat> there's no stopping me now. Mm. I am I'm on that trajectory. It's only up from here. Like mm. it's a really it's a really slippery <laughs> slope to fall into, but I yeah. think what I can take away from that was that I definitely felt motivated by that bronze medal. Mm. I felt like I belonged yeah in that environment. I felt like I belonged in that competition, mm. like sent that competition stadium. And I, I was hungry for more. You obviously then from 2014, you're building towards Rio Olympics. Um, but things weren't going too well physically, were they? You got pretty badly injured. What was happening then? You, you still qualified for Rio? Um, yes. Yes. So I qualified uh, in yeah. 2015, actually. So things were still going reasonably well for me there. Um, as I said, like super motivated. The Olympics are coming up. I'm going to, this is my dream. This is yeah. the thing I've been working towards forever. I'm mm. in such great shape. I'm going to, I'm going to be on the medals. I'm going to be on the podium. Like, you know, big dreams. <laughs> it's all coming together. Yeah. And, yeah. It's building. <laughs> and uh, start of 2016, I started having some um, some pain in my back, but being me and being a bit stubborn, you know, like that's what athletes do. They work through pain. They find a way around it. They keep, they, you know, mm. keep pushing on. Little did I know that this was not the sort of pain that you push through. And it wasn't until probably a point mm. where it was quite bad that um, I sort of voiced the fact that I was in a lot of pain and things probably weren't going so well. Mm. And then we got it scanned and, yeah, I had a back stress fracture at that point. And that was in mm. – so that was diagnosed in March. Yeah. And obviously we got the Olympics um, like August. I think it was August that year. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting journey because I think from the moment I got that diagnosis, I never really gave myself any sort of grieving period or any time to – understand what that injury meant it was almost like I just flicked a switch mm. and was like right I'm gonna get to the Olympics like I am my prep now is about getting mm. healthy enough to get to the Olympics which I, I don't know that I necessarily mm. enjoy I don't enjoy the fact that it just became about chasing um, to get to the team I never, never wanted to just be a participant. Mm. I, I still don't want to just be a participant at these mm. championships. So I think that was one of the hardest things was yeah. sort of I was definitely committed and dedicated to the work I needed to do to get back on the runway. But I sort of getting there mm. and going through that competition, hate that I sort of felt like I was only there to fill numbers. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. yeah, you weren't at your best. No, definitely not. I was, I was definitely below my best, and probably still uh, quite nervous around the throw. I think because it was the thing that mm. caused the injury. There were definitely some elements about just being, you know, the, the throw sure. became scary. It became scary to want to come in hard mm. and hit the front. You sort of 
lose that mm. invincibility mm. a little bit when you have an injury like that because mm. so much of your technical model relies on being able to hit the javelin and that hit comes from a really mm. strong strong body. I think um, what's been really valuable is, um, so I actually never rewatched that that final or that qualifying from Rio. I walked away feeling very embarrassed mm. by my result in Rio. Um, and, but again, it was a huge motivator for me. I was like, I don't, I don't want to feel like this again. Mm. I, I know mm. what I need to do to improve. Mm. Um, you know, I want to get back to that, that version of me that came away from Glasgow where it was like, this is where I belong. This is what I want to do. I want to challenge the best mm. in the world. I want to be the best in the world. Mm. So came off the back of Rio, like super, mm. super motivated. Um, and obviously like made a promise to myself in my post-Rio interview that I'd be in, mm. in Tokyo in four years' time um, being competitive and being in mm. the medal, like fighting for a medal. So I sort of like I guess I carried that with me mm. um, along the way. But mm. it wasn't until 2019 that I actually looked back on the footage from Rio and watched that for the first time. And I think I there was a moment of realisation for me that I still, that was all I had on the day, like, I couldn't have probably asked for any more yeah. out of my body or my preparation. So yeah, there was a it was nice. Yeah. It was a nice moment to sort of reflect. So it took on. you three years to watch back, <laughs> yep. and three years to somewhat forgive yourself. Yeah, for a result that you weren't you weren't happy with, but mm. given the circumstances, it wasn't like you came in fully fit. And then through that, like you were severely you had a stress pressure in your back, recovered, got there, but you still couldn't. It took you a while to kind of allow yourself to see that point of view definitely yep and uh I think yeah I don't know what it was about it I think there was just there was just so much about that competition in itself and the preparation leading in and what I the expectations I had for it that revisiting it I almost Mm. it wasn't helpful so I just kind of parked it and just didn't Mm. go there could you enjoy the rest of the Olympics like even you know, it sounds like you had deep disappointment mm. after that result. Could you compartmentalise it and put it to the side, even for the Olympics and go, okay, but I'm at my first Olympics, I'm here? Or did that kind of, you know, in a way the results spoil the Olympic experience for you because it wasn't just about getting there? I, yeah, if I'm being honest, I didn't have a great Rio experience as a whole. I think, as I said, I knew Mm. that I was a little bit underdone coming in. So those days leading into competition was just about, you know, again, trying to find the last little bits to put into getting the Mm. result I needed. Um, And then post-qualifying, yeah, I was devastated. I I definitely sat in a bit of a slump for a few days. And no, I probably Mm. didn't enjoy as much of the environment or as much of the Olympics um, that I could have. I certainly got out and still like tried to rejoin my teammates and see what I could and be a part of it. I think I have this memory mm. as well of realising that being a part of it and being amongst it is very different from watching it as a spectator. And I found that quite um, quite confronting mm. in the sense that it's like... Explain. Yeah, it's a sense of when... Well, this is my interpretation of it, is that when we watch the games and we watch the mm-hmm. w- our athletes participate and compete, there's 
lots of celebration about the athletes who do well and a lot of celebration about the athletes that um, place and do like receive those medals. When you're in the village, you realise how small that percentage is of people actually mm. being at the top. And I think I just mm-hmm. sort of have this memory of like walking around and just seeing all these athletes and it's just the realisation that like, wow, so many of them don't win medals. <laughs> so it was... Mm. It was just this idea that it's like, whoa, okay, I've, you know, I've set my goals really high. I, I've always said sure. that I've wanted, I want to win a medal at the Olympics. And then coming to Rio and seeing that and having my first experience, it's like, oh, I've set the bar really high here. <laughs> <laughs> when did, when did you, Mike, become your coach when did that happen oh yeah so that was um after 2014 commonwealth games so just Mm. my circumstances that year i came back from those games and decided i needed to yeah make a change in my coaching setup and mike's name was Mm -hmm. put forward uh, as an option and he was the best fit uh at the time because he was still in canberra i'd done a little bit of work with him through um biomechanics the sports science side of things Sure. And yeah. Yep. I, I was. This is it. This is a good fit. Let's <laughs> let's see how this goes. That's how that's how it started. So you guys have been working together for a really long time. Twenty end of twenty fourteen like, over ten yeah. years. Yeah. When did it start? When did he start becoming more than just uh. your coach? You started hanging out a little bit longer, and you were like, "Hang on, I think I've got feelings yeah, for you." Yeah. Yeah. So, what was happening? Uh, it was like twenty. Midway through 2015, you're testing my memory now. <laughs> I'm just like going back in the years. So, yeah, I think it was, yeah, midway through 2015. And I guess just before we came overseas that year, um, I guess we sort of recognised that there was a little bit more than just a coach-athlete relationship there. But, again, yeah. funny, we look back at it now and we we sat down and we sort of said, like, right, if we're going to take this further and make this a relationship... Mm. We have to understand that there are consequences if this doesn't work out. Like, not only will you lose yeah, a coach, huge, yeah, massive, right? Like, not only will you lose a coach, mm. um, but you know this, you know, relate. Look, we'll have to part ways. That was essential. Mm. So we joke now, and we were kind of like, I guess it was a marriage proposal from the start. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to make this work. It's got to be for the long yeah. haul because there's some serious consequences if it doesn't. But you're right, that's a huge risk. Yeah, but I guess I guess you both were probably toiling with that long before. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we so. probably both aware of what it meant. Um, so maybe we, mm. we didn't act on anything, uh, I don't know, any earlier or not. But I think it was both a, just, I showed it, I guess it showed the level of commitment that we had for each other from the very beginning. Mm. And that we weren't mm. we weren't entering into this relationship as a like oh cool let's see how this goes it was kind of like no I can yeah. see a future with you like I can yeah I love spending yeah. time with you and I I want to keep doing this with you so yeah I, again I I will always be really yeah. grateful for athletics for introducing me to Mike. <laughs> Yay! Oh, that's lovely. And I guess it's got its perks and benefits as well, right? Like. So now you don't have to have a coach and a husband um, to go travelling with you. You just need one, yeah. which is the same different one, hats. essentially. Just different hats um, on. <laughs> I think it would have had like, yeah. <laughs> well, how do you do it? Like how do you 
compartmental because I love my husband a lot. <laughs> it would probably drive me crazy if I had to like work all day with him and then come home and, and deal with that. So, yes. yeah, how uh, – and I'm so stubborn as well. I guess it may <laughs> – did it help that he was coach first and then husband? Uh, yeah, it probably did. Uh and this is really funny because we often get asked about how the dynamic works because similar to you, people say, like, I yeah. love my husband, but there's no way I could let it. Like, <laughs> so, um, and I couldn't tell him, I couldn't <laughs> listen to him telling me what to do all the time. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it definitely helped. We established really great, um, a really great relationship as coach and athlete first. And I've always had great respect for Mike in his coaching role and how mm. he goes about it and what he does and the processes that he puts in place. So that dynamic was always very strong and we always had really good communication from the start. And if nothing else, mm. that communication bled into our relationship, which has made that really strong as well and really helpful. But we were very careful at the start to make sure there was a distinction between work life and home life. I think as we've gone on over the years, that has definitely blurred a little bit more, but I yeah. think <laughs> yeah. it was inevitable. <laughs> but I think again, like yeah. we both have, we both love the sport. So we, we do, we spend time talking mm. about it. We, it's, it's a hobby for us and it's like to, to just chat through it. But then it's also- It's both your lives. Yeah, yeah. And I think back to like last year was a really, like it was a struggle and a challenge for me, but being able to lean on mm. Mike as a husband in some of those training mm. sessions that were really, really hard. Like he he got me through some mm. of those. And so it's again like, mm. yes, the lines blurred, but I they they certainly made our marriage stronger. And I I got mm. a result as an athlete from it as well. So Yeah. Hu- yeah. Yeah. I loved I love doing this. I love doing this life, life with him. It did start working for you. Twenty sixteen you talked about that being a really tough year. 2018, Commonwealth Games at a home, a silver medal. Um, and then, of course, you were married a short time time later. So you're on bronze com games, silver com games, the world championships, like, and 2018 building to 2019. That was some incredible years for you and another clutch effort mm-hmm. to be able to pull through in the 2019 world champs. But that was a big moment for you, wasn't it? Yes. To be world champion. And were you in fourth position heading into that final round yes. again, the sixth round? I know. Yep. <laughs> I do love a bit of pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, I think this is what's so lovely about looking back at my career and when I've been able to produce those clutch throws is that they've all had a very different backstory to how I sort of got to that place. And I think in 2019 for me, mm. it was this idea of, I've got one more opportunity to show what I'm capable of with the javelin. You know, I've been mm. I've been throwing well all season, set a huge PB um, maybe like six mm. weeks before, have backed it up again and again and again with really yeah. far throws. Let's, like, go and do that, Kelsey. Like, go and put it out there. Show yeah. the world what you're capable of. And I think with that kind of fuel and the self-belief I had from my season – allowed me to just to just be in that moment at that point in time Mm. trust my body knew what it was doing and then just let the javelin Mm. go like it yeah it's it's Mm. lovely to reflect on that throw itself because there was so much about the way my body moved around the javelin and energy through Mm. 
the javelin that that's mm. that's what I love about this sport and that's that's what I've loved for many years training for it so you're the world champ the year earlier you had a PB which is also ranked as the 13th best of all time it was 12th at the time yeah. things are really building nicely towards Tokyo games but then something really bizarre happened and I'm not talking about COVID you got the yips how did that start and and what did that mean yeah so this has been this has been a really interesting journey for me because it's only really been in the last few months that I've been I guess brave enough to sort of talk about it um I Mm. suffered an injury at the end of 2019 so as you can imagine, I'm on, I'm on such a high. <laughs> Again, I'm in that space of mm. invincibility. I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to come in and finally win my Olympic medal. Um, yeah, I suffered an ankle injury um, outside of, of javelin training. Like, and what it meant was... How did you do it? Oh, I was, I was at a training camp and I was we were doing some work with some throwers around um, some eccentric training and they had an eccentric bike. They said, sure. let's cool, let's have a look at this and see how this works. And I jumped on and um, the pedal snapped back on my ankle into um, very mm. forceful, very fast dorsiflexion. And yeah. Um, yeah, so what it meant was I sort of struggled with this injury for months and months and months and I lost a lot of range of my ankle, was constantly managing swelling. Later on we got it scanned and it what had actually happened is I'd cracked a piece of bone off my ankle, Ooh. which required surgery then. So this is now July, oh, June 2020 that I got the surgery. And yeah. first experience of even having a surgery, coming back from that, rehabbing that, this ankle injury <laughs> caused me so much grief in the sense that I couldn't move the way I used to move. I had pain sure. when I was moving. So my body decided to create new ways of moving so I wouldn't be in pain. Mm-hmm. But that meant I developed really bad habits in my technical model. And it was this roll-on effect of things. And not only in that, start of 2021 season to come out and throw, I had a really bad slip on the runway in Canberra and my first yeah. competitions back. So everything is now sort of just like building up and yeah it became really overwhelming and I lost all my confidence in how to throw so it wasn't just that it was like I got the yips and things felt like it was just this combination of things that felt like they just weren't going my way and Mm. yeah I just fell into a space of like loss of self-belief loss of confidence loss of like knowing what to do I think that was the worst part is Mm. like I almost lost my instinct on how to throw the javelin Mm. I I Mm. kept a lot of last year no like I was I'd turn to Mike and be like what do I do like how how do I throw this Mm. thing like just tell me give me the answer whereas Mm. a lot of what I pride myself in being able to do in the past as an athlete is that that self-discovery that experimentation that explore positions and and movements and come up with with ways that I can articulate that and share that with Mike I found myself in a Mm. space of not knowing I completely lost like felt like I was walking through the dark like 
not knowing how to put it together anymore. And not only was that like scary from an, like an athlete's point of view, just trying to like do your daily training, but also scary for what it meant like in my future. Like I, I can't, I can't throw the javelin. Like, how do I get back there? What do I do mm. to get back there? And it's, yeah. So mm. I, I don't, I think we knew, like, we got to a stage where we sort of knew what what the, the problem, I don't like, not the problem, but the problem was. And I think that's when I really learned to sort of like lean on the support network around me and really lean into um, the people who could kind of help me through mm. those really challenging times. So um yeah it could kind of mm. help guide me back to some degree two questions you went from throwing what to throwing what distance and my second question when it got really low how low did it get take me to that moment where that was your lowest point of frustration of being upset disappointment yeah so just to answer the first one about the throws so obviously I went from being you know, 67 metres in 2019 um, to obviously like not having a, a year of throwing in 2020, but then coming out in 2021 and one of my worst competitions at 52 metres. Wow. So, wow. yeah, like huge, huge drop off yeah, in distances. Um, and I think even through that year, I maybe only hit 60 metres once or twice before I went into Tokyo. <laughs> so that's yeah. just to give a bit of context. Yeah. Um, wow. But, yeah, to answer your second question, I... And your PB 67. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think last year certainly challenged me in ways I never expected the sport to sort of, like, challenge me in terms of m- mentally mm. more than anything. I think I mm. knew that there were always or to some degree, you know that there are ups and downs and athletes get injured and you you work through that, you you rehab it. But mm. a lot of my philosophy in the past, I guess, was like if I dedicate myself to this and if I work hard at it, um, I'll come out the other side. Like there will always be. Mm. And I just felt like I could never see that end point at times. Like I just mm. felt like I got stuck. And mm. there were days like... I think the worst part for me actually was like my throwing days, the days that you you live for as an athlete. I didn't mm. want to get out of bed on those days. I didn't want to go to the track. Mm. I didn't want to go to those sessions. I They became so anxiety-driven. Like they were just, mm. you know, like this association with something so beautiful and I have so much passion for when I'd pick up a javelin, I'd mm. start feeling fear and anxiety and everything was too overwhelming. And mm. it's, I don't, you don't want to do that when it feels like that. Mm. So mm. really, really hard. And again, when you are sort of stuck in a space of like, I don't know what to do and you get frustrated by that. I got, got mm. so frustrated by this idea of like, I didn't have an answer for it. How do I make progress mm. if I don't know how to to fix this problem in yeah. front of me? Um, so you lost your superpower almost. It almost feels like something that made you so strong and happy, and that you're succeeding. It's almost like you lost 
your superpower in a way and you where do I find my superpower again yeah it definitely felt like that and as I said I think the hardest part was definitely the fact that I lost I lost that enjoyment for throwing I Mm. okay well why am I doing this if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and that that came up like that came up for me it's like okay so you're at a point now it's like if you're not enjoying this why why are you out here like what was Mm. what's your you know like how do you find a moment to ground yourself what's going to keep me grounded in in this pursuit while I sort of figure out how to get back Mm. to throwing well and Mm. I guess yeah I guess for me like yes throwing far and achieving my goals and performing at major championships has always been a big part of my goals, it's always been a, a reasonably like solid layer <laughs> to why I do this sport. Mm. But I think what something that's really grounded me for a long time over the years from the very beginning um, of my career is like I'm doing this because I want to I want to be a role model. I want to inspire the next generation mm. of throwers, and I want to do that while pursuing my goals. Mm. So. Mm. I guess it came back to the fact that it's like, okay, I'm going through something really challenging now, but I can still I can still set an example from this. I can still show mm. that there's there's ways through this. I can still, as I said, I found something that grounded me enough mm. to allow myself space to keep to persevere. I guess I can't even say that I got. Mm. I found that end line. Like I still haven't necessarily found that end point of getting my throw back together, but it has allowed me enough space to keep going. Yeah. So is that what did it for you to get you back or how did you, from hitting that rock bottom and not wanting to get out of bed and considering your future in the sport, what how did you begin the process what was it that turned it around for you was it that of thinking of who you wanted to be and the influence you wanted to have on people or how did you do it yeah I think it definitely came back to the people uh around me who were supporting me through that and it was a very tight knit knit group that I really leaned on last year and Mike was definitely one of those pillars in that I'm as I said, I think our marriage is better for it, but I certainly pushed elements in terms of like asking for support and needing support from him last year. And mm. I think, uh, you know, there were there were things that I had probably carried through the year in terms of um, external expectations and feeling mm. like um, needing external validation what I'd achieved there were there were other layers to things that made made it difficult but being able to strip all of that away and coming back to you know as I said what it is that I love doing is throwing the javelin I need to try and find that again lean on my clean on my network of people at Athletics Australia um, my sports psych um, and my family just to mm-hmm. help center that a little bit for me and to keep that moment grounded a little bit while the rest of it's been tossed around but a big part of last year that I think allowed me to perform so well at the Olympics was the fact that it was it was Mike and I it was the two of us mm. on this journey together and that was enough 
it was enough if it was just Mike and I there at the end of the day. It was always yeah. going to be enough. And not for validation or for medals anymore. Is that what you mean? It was more the journey. Yeah, not for every, yeah, it wasn't for all the other noise that I guess I'd, I'd built up a little bit around that mm. or around coming into an Olympics and being a rainy world champion and wanting the goals that I'd set out for myself. Um, as I said, like, it, it was it was enough. Mike and I, for us, this journey together, however the however it fell, <laughs> it was enough. And I suppose that gave me enough of a buffer and enough clearance and enough space to go in and be a little bit more free on trying to put my throw together again. Leading into Tokyo then, where was your body, where was your um, throw and especially where was your head at? Leading in, my body was still in a bit of a, or actually, no, it wasn't in a great place at all. (laughs) Four weeks out, I was managing a stress fracture in my foot, which came from the same ankle Mm. that I was having issues with all season. So that was, Mm. yeah, one of those little bits of information you sort of forget uh, over time. Yeah. Because it was just another thing that sort of added to the year. But yeah, I sort of found myself in a space of like, we've been working at it this for so many months now, you're not, you know, it's it's a technical model that you have to start learning to work with. You can still get a throw away mm. with this, but you have to start believing you can get a throw together with this. Um, you have to start looking mm. or stop looking for to try and add bits and pieces to it. Stop tinkering with it and just start, just start doing it again. Just start tapping into mm. that element of throw the javelin, simplify it. And just do. So I guess the yeah, the last couple of weeks leading out, like that's that's where I've sort of found myself. And with with that, luckily came mm. a little bit of confidence by just doing it. There was some familiarity again in, in just hitting the javelin and just letting it go, letting it fly. Mm. So there were elements around that. I certainly didn't go in feeling confident in my technical model, but what I did mm. draw confidence on or from was my experience at competing at big championship meets. Mm. And I have my 2019 World Championships to thank for that. I felt like, again, this is where I will lift. This is where mm. I'll find my energy. This is, this is it for me. I love these big stadiums. I love the energy that comes with this. I love the challenge that comes with this. Give mm. it to me and I'll find a way. And that's... That's really where I drew my my confidence from for that those games, and I guess mm. as well, I I had made a promise to myself five years before that I would be in that final and that I would be fighting for a medal. So if nothing else, I almost I willed it into existence. <laughs> I I made it happen, if nothing else. <laughs> and again. It was a bit of a clutch situation. And were you lucky to qualify for the final as well? You qualified in the last place? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Went from, to again, like two of my worst throws all year, sitting in like 29th oh. out of 30th. But <laughs> I love wow. this because I remember walking away after that second throw and sitting down and kind of head between 
my legs looking at the floor, trying to compose myself and like, you've got, you've got one throw left. And I so distinctly remember again, like those two pathways show up in front of me. And it was like on one side, Kels, you could walk away from this. You've had a terrible season. You've, you've got all the excuses in the book lined up. You could pull on any one of those mm. to explain your result today and no one's probably going to bat an eyelid at it. On the other hand, it's like you made a commitment to giving this absolutely everything you were going to do. Like you find a way. You will make this work. You, you know, pull your pants up, stand up and make it work. Like there was just this, this, it was grit. It really was. There was just this grit about me that it was like, I'm not going out like this. This is not how my story ends. And it was like, hold on to that. Like there was, I guess there's energy in that, right? Like there's, so forget about this pathway. That no longer existed. It was like, stand up. Put your game face on, find some energy, wherever it's going to come from, draw on that, stand yeah. at the top of the runway and make it happen. I Yeah, that was definitely one of those moments. But it was awesome because I took that energy into the final with me. What, like wherever I drew it from and wherever that came from, that, that fire inside of me was just blazing by that point and that is what I took into, into the final and it was it's, it's high energy and it's, you, you, I was exhausted afterwards, but I just held on to that because I knew that there was, I could, I could use that. There was something in that, that I could, if my technical model's not holding up, I can still throw with this, this fire inside of me. And you did. Take me back there. Take me to that I shot. Did. The I one that got you through to the bronze, the bronze yeah. rail. <laughs> I think, as I said, I I took that energy into the final with me from the very beginning. And if anyone has seen some photos or some footage from that final, my game face is next level. (laughs) I even look at photos now and think like, damn, don't want to mess with her. (laughs) Because there was, I was on a mission. I had a goal in mind and I was going after it. Nobody was going to stop me. I was, I was mm. all in, absolutely, from the very beginning. And it was sort of like mm. this, this little bit of attitude about, okay, if you're going to throw that, or I'm going to throw it further. Like, come on, bring it, challenge me, because I will find a way. I will lift to another level that you've never seen before, because today I'm walking away with an Olympic medal. Yeah. And that that was the energy I was just channeling all like all competition and I think even in that final round um Ida was the thrower before me from Turkey and I know she had a good throw uh, she came within four centimeters of like nabbing that bronze medal but I sort of remember almost like in my mind daring her I was like come on do it do it because if you go past me I'm gonna go past you again like <laughs> there's this this fiery competitor that comes out (laughs) um and yeah so I I definitely channeled that into the last throw I was sort of like it's not over until I let this javelin go like I've still got one more opportunity to try and get to that gold medal so give it everything like walk away feeling like there was absolutely nothing else you could do and I I did that I, I absolutely did that I'm really proud of what I achieved last year and 
the way I went about that competition. Mm. So that last throw, you got within four or five centimetres of of silver, but again, like another <laughs> ultimate like clutch performance from you. And then you go over to the stands and see Mike. I mean, for both of you with the journey that you're on and everything, what was that moment like to hold each other and knowing that that you'd done it under the most extreme circumstances as well? Yeah. Yes. So I remember like seeing the letting go of the throw and seeing the virtual lines and knowing I'd come very, very close to the silver medal. So I was sort of, <gasps> okay, what's, how's this, how's this going to play out? What's the number going to read? i it again. <laughs> um, and seeing I hadn't quite got there, <laughs> hadn't quite got there. But as I was walking back with the like, oh no, just missed it. The realisation of the fact that I, I'd secured the bronze medal, you know, I, mm. oh wow. I've, I've just won an Olympic medal. Like, I think mm. I remember looking at Mike and I was like, oh, my goodness, like, we've, we've done it. We've, we've actually done this. We've done this thing. And so walking over and giving him a hug and, oh, that was surreal. Mm. I just, so much emotion in that moment, hugging him, embracing him, the realisation of what we'd achieved after what we'd gone through mm. that season I, was it was it was a beautiful moment. What's next yeah. now? Like now that you've done that, where's your headspace at? Um, where's your throw at? How? Where are you at at the moment? Because obviously you got the bronze medal, you did that, but more. How's your throwing? How's your headspace? How are you overcoming? Is the yips and what you went through still something you have to manage? Uh, yes, I'm still. In all honesty, I haven't been able to put a throw together this season that I feel like has reflected what I'm capable of, I'm still mm. working through it. And mm. I think I have a much better approach to how I've, I'm working through this season. I find myself in a space that the challenges that are presented to, to me with my technical model, I'm, I'm seeing them with new eyes, I'm seeing them with better perspective. And I've, I, I guess I found mm. myself in a space at the start of this season in the idea of it's like, let's let's keep evolving. Let's not try and find the throw that was 2019. Let's look forward. Let's let's try and see what this version of myself can create. Let's mm. let's find a way to work with the body I've got now rather than f- keep fighting against it. So, yes, I haven't got a number on the board that would maybe suggest something special, but. I certainly still have the self-belief and certainly still trust my process coming into a major championships that I will show up on the day ready to fight. <laughs> and I trust that wholeheartedly. You have the self-belief and there's someone else who has a lot of belief in you as well. Um, as part of every podcast, we ask our, someone close to our guests who's been along for their journey uh, to record a secret message um, to you, which we play to you. And um, and I thought it would be appropriate to play, um, to get Mike to say one because I know you guys spend a lot of time together, but sometimes uh. <laughs> there's not everything that we say to our loved ones face-to-face as well. So, um, Mike? Kels, you know I'm a man of few words, so please savour these. I'm so fortunate to share this journey with you as your husband, as well as your coach. I still remember the day you asked me to join you on this journey. 
And I've never been one to turn down an opportunity despite being vastly underqualified. <laughs> but from what I knew about you as a person, as an athlete, this was too good of an adventure to turn down. Our coach-athlete journey has evolved. And these days I feel more like the caddy, a companion there for sage advice and a joke to lighten the mood when needed, the ultimate wingman. And this is testament to your growth as an athlete and your evolution in the way you go about what you do. It's what sets you apart from those you compete against and allows you to be the athlete that you are. You developed a reputation as a clutch performer, someone who can summon magic when it's needed. But what most don't know is this isn't just a switch that you can flick on. Each clutch performance has its own story and context. In the meticulous preparation, the honest, sometimes brutal self-assessments that lead to growth, it's what you go through to be able to put yourself in a position to find that magic in round six. It's the work that's done when no one else is watching. It doesn't wow people and get the attention of followers on social media, but it is what allows you to shine when the spotlight is on you. And it's on that stage that you're able to share your expression of your love for this beautiful event of javelin. The trait that I admire most about you, Kelsto, is that you meet triumph and adversity with the same strength of will and courage and you persevere. This is what I admire most about Kelsey, the athlete, but also Kelsey, my beautiful wife. On the eve of the World Championships, Kels, what better than to leave you with a quote from the legendary University of Oregon coach, Bill Bowerman. Everything you need is already inside. Kels, you're enough. Go out there and smash it. I love you. Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> really lovely. Oh, I did to you when I first listened to that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to start cheering up as well if I think about it too much, but there's so many messages that I think cross over in what I've hopefully shared today mm. and what Mike was like what he's just shared with me. It's so mm. beautiful. Thank you so much for being so brave and and vulnerable and and being so honest with sharing your story with on her game today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to to share that honestly and openly. As I said, it's, it's mm. taken me a long time to get to that point where mm. I feel comfortable enough to do it, but I ho really hope that by sharing that, um, people are able to understand that there are hard times and that it's the mm. love and support of the people around you that can really help you through it. Can I just ask yeah. one more question? Why was it so hard to yeah. lean on those around you? I've always been... Yeah, I've always been one to sort of feel like I could do it on my own, um, not necessarily feeling I, I need to lean on others, um, whether it's a little bit of stubbornness or just the idea of it's like I'll, I'll find a way, like I'll get through this and I'll, I'll make it happen, I'll make it work. Um, I felt like a lot of that just fell on me, um, whether it is a personality trait or just the way I sort of went about my life early days, mm. I think it was also a matter of being, um, finding that safe space with people and sharing that vulnerable side of mm. myself has not been an easy thing mm. to do. I guess I've always wanted to come across as a very happy, bubbly, life's great, smiling kind of person. Mm. So to open myself up to the scary, hard side of things was 
uh, yeah, it took a while mm. to break down those walls. And to tell people that you're struggling and you're not okay. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Even just to say them out loud to myself initially was really mm. hard to acknowledge. Mm. So after this moment in the podcast, I thank Kelsey Lee and I wish her the best of luck at the upcoming World Champs and the Com Games. And wouldn't you know it, she won gold in both. So we just had to get her back in the studio to talk about it and get her final thoughts. And as you listen, you can't help but notice a change in her whole demeanour. So I started by remarking on just how busy she's been in the last month. It has been an absolute whirlwind and I'm really happy to be back on here because I agree. I think uh, the stories I shared going into World Champs were just one chapter of my journey and I've just feel like I've completed a whole nother chapter of my life in the last few weeks. So <laughs> it's been crazy. What is it? Yeah, it's been awesome. Let's start with the world champs because making history there, the first female javelin thrower to go back to back world titles. I mean, oh, can you believe it from, from where you were when we're talking about these podcasts to, to, to then be able to do that just a couple of days after we chatted? Oh, I think it is a little bit crazy to to go back to when we spoke because honestly, it just feels like a different lifetime ago. Um, when I went into Eugene and started preparing those final few days into World Championships, I just, there's this real sense of belonging for me in those, those environments. I, it's like, all my trainings come together for these moments and I, I just feel so alive. Like I, I said to Mike when we were walking one day and I just felt full of energy and I just said, I, I live for these championships. There is honestly nothing better for me than being here in these moments preparing um, to do what I do and that's throw javelin. So there, I just, there's a real sense of readiness this time around. I don't think I could have prepared my body any better and and mentally it just felt in a really, really good space. So all of that came together for me on the day and I was just enjoying the environment and felt so connected on my javelin. And I mean, I'm obviously, I'm really proud of what I was able to achieve. And I mean, to go back to back, no one else has done that before in the women's javelin. I'm, I'm ecstatic with that result. <laughs> <laughs> because when we last spoke, um, you said, one of the last things you said to me, in all honesty, I still haven't been able to put a throw together that reflects what I'm capable of. And then you said, but the challenges that are presented to me now, they're presented to me with new eyes. And I take confidence from being able to perform in big stages, maybe not technically, and I don't know where my throw is at. But um, I take confidence out of being being on those big stages. That's pretty much what you, you just said. But I want to know as well, talking about challenges, because the challenges that it faced you when you went to the Commonwealth Games was not only, you know, that you picked up silver at the last ones and then you had a bronze before that and that you were going for gold, but then suddenly you got COVID, which is... Yeah, <laughs> I know. What was that then as a challenge? What were you thinking when you got COVID right before the Com Games? Oh, my goodness. And, I mean, we already had some challenges with just the back-to-back. -back. Like, it was not something we've ever had to account for. So there were already a few things in place that we were like, we're not really sure how this is going to go. And, yeah, first day in back in the UK and tested positive for COVID. And uh, I guess it's just... <laughs> what do you do? Like there's, there's honestly nothing you can do at that point. So mm. uh, I found it, 
uh, it was a weird space because I guess there was a little bit of understanding that I'm in this place now. We have to sort of deal with what comes next and day day by day, I guess a little bit. So I guess the pattern was mm. less about this this championship meet in two weeks' time, but more about this little bit today. And then is there improvement tomorrow? Um, okay, now we approach tomorrow the next day. But I had some ups and downs during that that two weeks. Um, obviously, like the come down from Worlds, just getting over the jet lag, the sickness itself. Um, and there were some days where I felt really isolated. And I guess that's what you forget when you mm. have COVID or when you ask to isolate from COVID is, for me, it's just the lack of physical contact with people that I, I seem to really struggle with. I mean, I, I still was lucky enough I could pick up the phone and talk to some friends or I could be in a space with Mike, but yeah, I genuinely just miss that that physical connection sometimes and then lay that on top of some challenges with um, not being able to train properly. Um, yeah, I found some days were, were really more challenging than I anticipated kind of in the lead up. But... And did you I draw guess, confidence from? Well, did you draw confidence yeah, I guess, from have the, the challenges from that you've overcome, and you know the battle with the yips and everything, even before that? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think. In twenty twenty one. Yeah, I definitely feel like my life experiences helped me work through uh, that two week period for, for sure. I think there was a lot mm. to mm. just understand that things like. Things will improve. Um, reach out to people when you need it. Like, don't don't wait to feel really low to reach out. I think I was a lot more proactive in in asking um, to have a conversation, or just even on the days that I didn't feel great, I was just acknowledging that as much as anything. Just saying, like, mm. I, I just don't feel myself today. I don't have any extra energy to give. I'm I'm just feeling a bit down, and I think just. For me, that's a huge step in even just being able to articulate those emotions out loud and just recognise and just sit with them mm. and be okay sitting with them because um, I know it's mm. quite an uncomfortable space, I guess not only for me but for others as well. But I guess just being compassionate enough to allow that process to happen meant that the next day I sort of like, okay, I'm feeling better today and I'm feeling I'm feeling more confident to do something and uh, I'm feeling more confident about where we're going now. Um, so, yeah, I definitely feel like over the last two years um, I was able to to manage that a little bit better. And then to get the gold medal, the full set, the yes. one that you've been waiting for. You had bronze at Com Games, silver at 2018 on the Gold Coast Com Games and then to get the gold after not only, you know, getting through COVID but getting through the yips and everything else. You've, that just would have been a phenomenal moment. It's an incredible journey for my Commonwealth Games experiences. I, I know <laughs> I know the lead up to this was very much about like completing the set and getting that gold medal. And I guess the story was already sort of written to some degree. And I was very conscious of that, I guess, going in, um, understanding that, you know, there was really maybe to some degree like a pass or fail mark on that championships because it was kind of like the gold is sort of the only place to go here. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I was really, yeah, I was really careful to make sure that that didn't bleed into um, like my mental preparations in terms of like the, it being a very clear cut line, I guess, because I, I know I've done that to myself in the past, but rather understanding that 
this will be a really nice story to complete and understanding that it's definitely something I still want. Like I was still going in there with intent and purpose and focus because it was certainly something I wanted to achieve, but I didn't let that bleed into the fact that it was, you fail if you miss this um, and Mm. your worth's only Mm. set on this gold medal. I was really, really proactive in trying to set, set up still that like same headspace that I had going into worlds where it was like, it's an opportunity. It's a chance to try and do something you haven't done before. So keep striving towards something rather than feeling like if I miss this mark, I've I've failed. Another clutch effort as well. Well done. I love it. (laughs) It's just such a great thing that you're, that you're known for and you can take confidence from. Um, You've just won your first Diamond League event as well. Just to (laughs) have another one. Congratulations on that. They just keep coming and coming and coming. But um, what's next for you? Obviously there's a lot of, I I guess you've got to be proud of what you've done these past few weeks um, and take a lot of confidence from that. But What's the plan from, from here? Obviously, yeah. a couple of more years before Paris. So what's what's in between? Yes. Uh, I guess with where I'm at at the moment, I'm actually I'm just loving my throwing and really just enjoying the process and loving the competition as much as anything, like going, going to these places, soaking up the environment and enjoying where I am and then coming out and getting to throw and throwing a little bit more consistently again now. Um, I'm really enjoying all of that. But... I am still in Europe currently. Um, I've got a couple more meets to finish the season. And then we go again next year. We have uh, world championships in August um, already. It's uh, straight into the next thing. Uh, and then obviously Paris the year after. So I'm really happy with the form I'm in at the moment. And quite honestly, I feel really motivated to to continue doing what I'm doing. I'm, I already feel the fire burning for next year and wanting to go again at world championships and get another win (laughs) I just uh I'm riding this (laughs) wave of confidence and enthusiasm I have for throwing at the moment and um as long as that's still there like I'm I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing we finish off every podcast Kelsey Lee by asking our guests if they could go back to that that little girl and we'll go back to when you were nine because that's when you made that big move to here in Australia which you would soon (laughs) represent so so boldly and, and so beautifully for, for our country. If you could go back to that little girl that first gets off the plane in Australia during the 2000 Olympics, what message would you give her about her journey ahead? Yes, I, I think with my life experiences that I've had so far, there is definitely something that I'd like to, mm-hmm. to share with her. And I think it's that you know what you want to pursue in life but accept that there will be ups and downs. Don't expect a straight linear trajectory to success. (laughs) You will be challenged and there will be hard times, but don't be afraid to lean on the people around you for support. I think there's not just one pathway to your goals. You need to be flexible enough to reassess and forge new pathways as you go. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer Lindsay Green, audio producer Nikki Sitch, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. 